Welcome back to The Imposterous. The Imposterous is hosted by me, Graham Drew, and Michael Knox, two rather insecure creative frauds who will be exploring the motivating and sometimes debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. Welcome to The Impostress. I'm Chris Lee, Executive Creative Director of Publicist Group Hong Kong, and I'm here to introduce Natalie Lan. She's a great mentor of mine, and you always find me asking her for advice. We first met on the patio of the Hong Kong office. I think it was her first time back in Hong Kong after many, many years in the States. But as we started talking about everything other than ads, I was just blown away by her curiosity and love for anything cool and new in Hong Kong. And it was at the end, that's when we asked ourselves, how do we bring those into what we do? After that, I became a huge believer in her mantra of creating modern and relevant work. Oh, and don't get me started about her obsession with craft. I can go on for hours, but let's just say she catches every little detail. And I'm thankful for that. Also, when it comes to working with Natalie, you'll understand the importance of less is more. So I'll leave you with that. It's been an absolute honor to introduce Natalie to the podcast today. Enjoy. I was on an old double decker bus that used to get to school. I got nothing to add. So I was just. <laughs> well, you, I do. You can. You can do I that. Do. I, mean, I do have one of those. It's what? a bit dark, though. Is it? How dark is it? Hey guys. Hey. Hey. Hi, Natalie. How are you? Good. How are you guys? We were just talking about recurring dreams. Natalie, welcome to The Imposterous. Great to see you. Where are you right now? Well, thanks for inviting. Um, I'm actually back in Hong Kong after traveling for two months. Yeah, on that, I'd like to kick off with a bit of self-promotion. When we were setting this up, your um, your assistant told us that The Imposterous podcast helped you while you were pacing your room in 21 days of Hong Kong quarantine. Is that true? Is it an act of desperation when you bought out Netflix? (laughs) No, that was actually true. I mean, it actually all started with uh, with the whole pandemic and lockdown. I was in I was in New York before I came to Hong Kong, and and uh, there was a period where no one went out. And then so I started. I was like, okay, uh, need to need to do something to be active. So so I was attempting the ten thousand days. Sorry, ten thousand steps. A day? A thousand days, that's quite a quarantine. <laughs> it felt like that. Yeah, let's hope that never happens. So actually, I was um, I was doing that by listening to audiobooks back in the days. And then, and then I just uh, continued that. And I was like, okay, you know, you can, you're stuck for 21 days. You can't leave the hotel room. Uh, and hotel rooms are pretty small, right? So if I managed to do it in, in my um, apartment in New York... Um, that was what about a hundred rounds, and then so so let me try to keep it um, in a hotel room, and then that turned out to be about an hour. So I was like, okay, 
what can I listen to for an, about an hour? <laughs> How can I punish plus, myself further? <laughs> Plus, plus, I was like, I have no idea how to do this job. So I actually talked to Graham Fink, who I knew. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, and a few other people, I was like, give me tips. And then I think one of them actually recommended this podcast. I was like, okay, yeah. Since oh, I have no idea how to do this job, and this sounds like a good topic. So I think each of your episode was about 40 minutes or so. And then that's that's that was that's a good chunk of the hour of 10,000 steps. Yeah. And then so, so that's... Perfect. Graham, is that the kind of self-promotion you were looking for? That, um, is that, is that some, a good one? Someone what going into a very leading role in the creative industry might learn how to do their job by listening to this podcast. Is that is that enough for you? Yeah, I, I think that alongside <laughs> and distinguished world leaders of creativity actively recommending us, I think is yeah, also quite, <laughs> right. quite good. And the fact that we last around 7,500 steps is also yes. something we've learned today. Were there any comments from any of the... Um, oh, you're searching the pods that you liked <laughs> I, I just want endorsement this is these are free endorsements by the way you know that thing you signed before yeah Can you i use never that signed anything actually oh, you, what, digitally uh, Verbally. okay <laughs> well actually i was i was very i relate to neil's leonard is that his last name yes yeah, quite a lot really because he was one of the few people who didn't start improper advertising Mm. didn't go to school right so he started as a designer yeah um so that was great because i was a big fan of the the um the life paints work oh when, yeah yeah when they did it it's just so simple so elegant and so perfect mm. um so that was great and then i think vicky mcguire she's hilarious she's <laughs> i was like i he, i, he gives I want to meet her <laughs> yeah she's amazing she's a force of nature doesn't care about anything and her teams absolutely adore her for it. She's brilliant. She's yeah, so I was like, I really want to meet her. Yeah. yeah. So there, there were a few because I, I, it was in February. So I listened to everything. That makes you a super user. We need to send you a badge. Yes. Um, <laughs> so on, on the subject of quarantine, you returned to Hong Kong in 2021. Lots of amazing success in New York. What triggered you to come home? You know, because we talk a lot about and the posturous about this sense of needing to feel like you belong or was there just a massive culture shock having spent so much time away how how is it how is it coming back to hong kong after all this time well actually i wouldn't use the word successful the reality is a much more pragmatic one i grew up in hong kong and mm. i escaped hong kong because it was a city that's all about success <laughs> and there's very very sort of obvious symbols of success. I mean, back in the days, back then, that was still the colonial days. So, you know, I went to high schools where kids are from super privileged families, and then there's like a line of Rolls Royces waiting outside <laughs> the school to pick them up and with their maids and all that. And then, so that was, uh, that was a place that I was kind of running away from. I was like, oh my God, it's too much stress. Okay. And then, so I went to New York and, you know, with the goal of one, I, so I went to art school in New York and then, um, cause I didn't want to do anything that's has serious consequences and responsibilities. <laughs> How was that? I mean, cause as you say, the Hong Kong mindset is very traditional with careers, you know, in terms of you, you need to go into banking or lawyer or doctor and you're going to New York to do arts. How did that go down? 
Yeah, so so I think that worked because uh, I mean it's all very pragmatic reasons. I mean Hong Kong back then didn't have any school that has anything that's uh, somewhat related to art or somewhere you know less stress, somewhat less stressful disciplines. And then so I I I'm, I went to art school in New York and then I stayed and then um, I knew that. I wanted to stay. I, I knew that I didn't want to come back to a stressful environment like this, where everything is so measured. So, I, I mean, I, I personally, I always loved doodling. I, I have a background. When I was in Hong Kong, I was doing, my parents forced me to do Chinese calligraphy. Okay. So that's actually really, really good training for me to appreciate form. Yeah. The positive and negative space. And then that mm-hmm. helped me with anything that's art, visual, and I knew I needed a job to stay in New York because my biggest my biggest challenge is I don't want to come back to Hong Kong. So I luckily I got a job and that's how I started in, um, in print design. So all of that was related to what I love, which is forms, shapes, visuals, sort of tangentially related to art. And then that's how I sort of, I think not wanting to come back Okay. That's been the main reason for my path. And it was not about, hey, I need to make a successful career out of what I do. <laughs> it's I will do whatever to stay away from such a stressful society. <laughs> and, and then you choose to come back. Well, you know, when you get older, responsibilities in life and, you know, your priorities shift. So actually coming back with the big part was uh, the pandemic and also the, the reality that my parents are still in right. Hong Kong. Okay. So, you know, yeah. I mean, I Graham, you're based in Malaysia, so I think you know of Asian yes, families I do. quite I do. well. I do, yes. Do you live with them? So, uh, no, no. Um, that's one thing that okay. cannot. So, you know, I think or like a lot of sort of people who left Asia and to pursue studying or career overseas, they know in the back of their minds at some point they need to return, they need to take oh. care of their you know, be be closer to their elderly parents. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so, so I actually did that first time t- uh, twelve years ago. In I went back to nearby. I went to Ogilvy, China, mm-hmm. and then and then um, thinking that my parents were getting old. And knock on wood, they were quite healthy then. And I could, and China was so stressful that I was like, okay, I need to, to go back to New York. It's fast. <laughs> to relax isn't it? a little bit. They're fast in China. They don't hang around. So it's, a, it's really a career and family decision. And then I just happened to have this amazing opportunity. On that, on that subject, and there's so, so much in there, your point about, I, I guess, what, what you learn as a, as a younger talent. I'm interested in, um, you know, having, Spent a few years in Hong Kong and even worked with some of the members of your of your current team in Christopher Lee and Jackie Wong, who I'm sure. Oh, wow! I, I'm sure you'll. Um, Wait, yeah. at Gray? Yes. Ah, uh, okay, okay. They talked about you quite like right. good deal. I must owe them some money. Good things um, for, for, yeah. that, <laughs> for those plugs. I you want know, to ask you know, about. She, she said good things. There was oh. a pause there, wasn't there? There was a, <laughs> it was a reflex. I need to, to say, say it twice thing. to make sure that I was. Uh, <laughs> I meant it. <laughs> Thank you. That's great to hear. I want to ask about talent, young talent, pushing them because Hong Kong, you know, for all its extremes and a lot of places, a lot of cities are blessed with this. Really, has an abundance of of yeah. talent, like the two we've mentioned, and many more. How do you get the best out of your team? 
How do you how do you work with your teams? Well, actually, I work with those two a lot. In fact, to an annoying degree that I'm sure they're like, oh my God, here's something from Natalie again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I think they are the, the great thing about, about the young talent like like Chris and like uh Jackie is they're so open. They're so thirsty for something that pushes them and, and that they can learn from. And I think that's the the great thing about Hong Kong's attitude. You know, I mean, I, I see different markets and then I definitely think that there's cultural differences between the teams in different markets. And then one thing about Hong Kong is the can-do attitude. Right, yes. Uh, you give them a list of whether the list is 10 things or 20 things or a million things. First thing they said is, yes, we can do it. Yeah, great. Yeah, <laughs> then, I, I, I then, found that too. I'd agree with that, yes. Yeah, so I think that's that openness and then that can-do attitude and that uh, dedication and that sort of like they always come with a big smile, especially Jackie, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just, it's, it's, I think it's a huge important foundation. And then if you guide them the right way, and if you actually take time to explain why you do things this way, so next time they can independently, you know, take on and digest, and then they can use the you know inspirations to decide. You know, is this the thing that I want to do next time? That's that's that has been working very well. I mean, at least from my my perspective, yeah, they great. never said no. They don't. They don't never tell me. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk more um, uh, about the offices and the number of offices that you oversee because it's quite a number, and I'm sure there's a lot of cultural nuance that you're mm. that you're discovering and and playing into there. But I wanted to go back to the start to a degree and talk about the groundbreaking work that you did on Nike Plus. When two of the world's most innovative brands got together, they asked us to do one thing, completely reinvent running. We delivered something that had never been done before, an online platform that integrated the physical and the virtual, made the solo social, and created an adaptive, fully branded world that redefined the running experience. The Nike Plus product consists of a running shoe with a sensor that records your speed and distance, an iPod that saves the data, and an online platform where it all comes to life. The moment a Nike Plus runner sinks his iPod, the real revolution begins on NikePlus.com, an unprecedented fusion of brand, product, and digital experience. We were brought in to conceive and execute the visual, architectural, tonal, and programmatic standards that define what the Nike Plus platform is and will become. We created the tools that allow Nike Plus runners to effortlessly log and track training data, analyze their performance, and set individual goals. There's always new technology around the corner that as creatives we're, we're playing into and looking for you know, ways to, to crack it. And it's easy to say, keep learning, stay interested and things like that. How do you stay interested and keep yourself up to date with what's going on and where you can be creatively? I think actually not stressing over, oh my God, am I going to get it? Am I going to, you know, understand this latest new thing, but actually be a little bit of an outsider and admit that you don't know anything? <laughs> yeah. It's very helpful because I, I didn't come from a technology background. And um, even when I was at RGA, you know, I mean, there's a, when we were working on Nike, um, 
there's the team, a small tight team that there's amazing technologies, amazing coders that I had no idea what they do. But we all know as a team, everybody knows what they can do very, very well. And then that complemented each other. So all I knew was design. I mean, actually, back in the days, um, we it was a small team of tech people, um, creative people, writer, designers and uh, UX people. And then we actually had no idea what we're making. We were just making it <laughs> and everybody does the best of what they do. And then we had no idea the impact of this. So I think sometimes the naive optimism, just mm. knowing what, okay, curious about this thing. Okay. We know that the flash coders are very good at making things work and making things fly and animate, spin around, whatnot. We don't know how they do it, but we know, okay, the result we wanted. <laughs> Yeah, creating that space and, of safety to have no idea is quite an yes. achievement, isn't it? To kind of go, yes. oh, I've got no idea, but I'm safe in that space because the thing yeah. I know, I know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think actually admitting that you don't know, because it's impossible to let people, you know, have the experts to let you in and then help you along the way, as long as you bring something to the table. So I think for me, you know, from day one, I think I know to spot what, something that doesn't look good. <laughs> so. So if my if what I'm bringing to the table is to remove that thing that doesn't look good, right? At least I I put in my part to contribute, and yeah. then the experts in the same team can help me out with something that I don't know. It's less about the minutiae and the strategy or whatever. You're just using your design sense, you know, in a very broad sense to say this doesn't look right, and here's something that does look right. I don't know why it does, but it just does. Because you said in the past that nobody rejects good design. And is that, is that where you start your process in terms of your creative processes? You know, because you say you have to marry technology with storytelling and it all gets really complicated, but you just sort of take a step back and kind of go stick with what you know and just get really good at that. And then you'll find a way. Is, it, is that kind of your policy? Your Yeah, I think, I think that's more or less, right? Because um, I think that's one thing that I'm very, very confident about is I think I, think I can spot something that's off. And then I can quickly figure out solutions to to at least get it into a stage that's not off, right? Whether yeah. I'm the most brilliant designer, whether I'm the most brilliant writer, I mean, I, I wear many hats and, and you know, I, I cannot code for sure. But a little bit of amateur strategy, a little bit of amateur writing, you know, a, a medium level of Photoshop. I mean, all of those I can do quite well to <laughs> remove what's off. And then... Yeah. And then the rest is, okay, when we get into a place that feels right, then how do we make it even better, right? That's that's where I bring in the experts who can do it much better, the writers who can write much better and whatnot. So I think for me, the most critical st starting point is let's not even be the, in the off space and how do we fix that? So uh, my point about <laughs> no one rejects good design is uh, I just don't understand why in advertising, you know, I mean, I started in design and then this is why I, I relate to Neil so much where when he was saying, oh, okay, his first seven years, the advertising guys got all the glory and then the design people were just sort of like mm. ignored, right? When you see something that's good, whether it's visual, whether it's copy, whether it's an idea, whether it's the whole package and whatnot, you feel it. And then, so... That's why I don't understand. <laughs> if we're coming from a from a visual background, um, why do 
teams sometimes just start by saying, okay, this is a brand that you it's only in supermarkets. So we make it look like something <laughs> that only fits to be in a supermarket rather than let's think of what's the best thing we can we can give to the client that regardless of what it fits in. So I think it's it's more about the point of people people do put the boxes in in when they first start rather than just, oh, sky's the limit. How do we do the best thing ever? Doesn't matter where where this ended up being. Which is there's that kind of, I think it's a poster somewhere which just says, I like it. What is it? And it's this kind of <laughs> Exactly. It's kind I of mean, that, isn't it? Whereas people maybe because we've got our fingers on so much data and so much strategy now, we obsess so much about doing the right thing that we forget just to make it beautiful first. You know? Exactly. It doesn't yeah. matter. I mean, I think our job is to bring something inspiring to the world, right? Make people laugh, make, make it so beautiful, make it great, make it inspiring. It doesn't need to, it doesn't matter whether it's a, it's a you know, a dollar soap or a million dollar Tesla or something, flying machines, robots. The poster Graham mentioned, I like it, what is it, is from graphic artist Anthony Burrell. Burrell, whose work combines a knack for simplicity that packs a punch with words and gentle humour, is a frequent collaborator with other creatives across music, architecture and education. We've had a conversation only recently on here where I think I confess to not being someone who's great with feedback. Have you ever got to a point with feedback where you've heard too much and said, okay, let's do something else? Let's take this idea off the table? Mm -hmm. We've had too many rounds of feedback done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely think that. Um, well, I come from I come from a, a, a culture where I think I tend to play the mediator between different opinions, <laughs> starting from my <laughs> own parents. Okay. And then, you know, Hong Kong is an is a East meets West. So I always try to find the common ground to to simplify many, many different rounds of feedback. And then, because I always believe in, okay, we have a common ground, something that is very strong to build on, you know, something that grounds everything, grounds all the different voices and then endless feedback, then we can prioritize and then see, okay, what else is necessary to be there? So for whatever reason, actually including Nike Plus, <laughs> I was always brought in, uh, when people have spent rounds and rounds, you know, sort of spinning, going in circles and not moving forward to be the person who's like, okay, so this is where we're going to start with. This is non-negotiable. And what are the, the elements that we can be flexible? Because the flexible elements, usually people won't pay attention to. It's mm. the one grounding element that's non-negotiable that is going to be the focus of each piece of work. So I think that helps to, to sort of end this churn and loops. But of course, there are the situations that are just impossible. Then and on the subject of flexibility, how flexible are you with perfection? How are you someone who says, this is right, let's go? Or can it always be, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, I think, can it always be better? Of course, everything can always be better. <laughs> but I think... Thankfully, we're in a business with deadlines and budgets and limitations. Right, so the time the time gets you in the end. That's how I used to think people made decisions in Hong Kong. Time <laughs> ran out. We couldn't do any more versions. Yeah. Time. 
So if you slow down the versions, <laughs> there's less changes. Yeah, yeah, that's a uh, that's very uh, that's a very unique thing about Hong Kong. <laughs> People run so fast between all the versions, and you know, within a very short amount of time, you will end up having a lot of versions. Have you have you found a big difference in the ways of working from your time in New York and your time in Hong Kong? I mean, it sounds like you have. I mean, are you trying to change those habits in Hong Kong and in Asia generally, or are you adapting yourself to how they are? Well, I think it, I think it's, uh, it's it's I mean, I'm always about balance. I'm always about finding the middle ground because there's beauty in in every single way of working, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't think we can generalize. Even in New York, there's the sort of slow moving, you know, complicated processes. Lots of layers in bigger agencies tend to be, and there's always the the smaller, nimbler shops, right? And in Hong Kong. Um, of course, the speed is much faster. If you're in a big shop, you still run yep. a million miles an hour. And then there's the smaller shops that are running even faster than the big shops. That's already quite fast. <laughs> I mean, actually, I just came up with a client meeting right before this. Um, and the client was encouraging. She was giving me feedback. She's like, "Could your, I always tell your teams to say no, to know when to say no mm-hmm. and stop and slow and to have a point of view, have a discussion, because I want to hear from the teams what they really think, rather than just say yes to clients all the time. And I definitely think mm. that that's one thing that I am pushing, um, because again, I think largely a cultural thing was so hierarchical. I mean, which is great, right? It creates a very respectful society where the more senior you are, the more weight you you carry. But then that also creates a culture that is... Um, order taking and then no one ever pauses and say no wait hold on a second i don't believe in this so let's discuss what's the ultimately the best thing to do for me i think it's it needs to be a right balance because in new york sometimes people discuss you know spend six months discussing strategy i mean i i have a friend who's a really really smart person she's a head strategist for a big global mm-hmm. and his whole he writes po- poetry on the side and takes amazing photography but his job is creating 300-page decks about the intrinsic values of, you know, mm-hmm. like Burgers. a piece of fried chicken. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, fried chicken. Okay, now we know who he is. <laughs> or, or, you know, fast food. Another kind, maybe in a burger. <laughs> so, so I'm like, how are you satisfied? <laughs> right? Especially like, when really, truly for strategies, their job is to take that, 300 pages and turn it into one page that's what strategists really should be doing for creative exactly yeah exactly yeah so i think it's the right balance having the right balance is key but back to new york you weren't just at agencies in new york you actually went over the fence onto the other side you're at google for a while right you were you led the um art copy and code team i don't even know if they're called that anymore but i remember when they were I just wanted to ask you something because I have a phrase with my teams when we're brainstorming and stuff. And if at any point the phrase simply partnering with Google or Facebook or Airbnb is uttered, I just go, eh, because having learned. You don't make media, that noise, do you? I do you sometimes. Make that noise? I do sometimes. Okay. Sometimes it's a horn. Um, <laughs> you have a horn on your desk. So Sorry, go on. Oh, those uh, taboo buzzers. Yeah. Yeah, it could be that as well. Yeah. 
or or just a sign that says no. Um, <laughs> purely because the hard way we've all learned how difficult that is. You know, to you know to collaborate with platforms, it's just really really hard. I wanted to learn what you've learned. You know, coming from the agency side and being on the platform side, what have you? How is it different? You know, how is being creative different when you've kind of got your hands on the levers? You know, you're, you know, you can literally make stuff happen, or I assume you can. Or is it even harder? You know, you get even more frustrated because you've got even less control when you're in it. I'm just curious to know what it's like. Well, so here's here's really the truth, right? I mean, Google exists to. I, I really like their positioning to uh, organize the world's information. Mm. <laughs> So I think that's great. And then so they created all these tools, search engines and whatnot to help that. So obviously they've got their business to to they got their business model, they got their products, and then <laughs> the maps, you know, they need to, whether it's maps, whether it's search, whether it's YouTube, you know, they all have teams of people dedicated to to grow their business and enhance the products, right? So what I learned was even internally, I mean, Art Copy and Co's job was to, uh, as an internal agency to help different products and connect with the consumers, whether it's B2B, whether it's B2C. So obviously we will have a lot of ideas that will be like, okay, what if we, you know, for example, one of our clients, one of our audience is uh, the 26 million small business owners. In America, so we're like, okay, let's do something with maps. But then we realize once we got the idea sold in internally, there's a line of four years long internal wish list waiting outside the door of Google Maps. Right. Yes. <laughs> because they've got their own priority, right? Like, okay, how big do we make this? Or, you know, this button. You know, what color is around the corner and whatnot. There's a lot of these takes a million steps to get it done, all the testing, making sure it works, right? So adding one line of information in the search results on Google Maps takes a year or, you know, to get it to get it happen. So they have a long list of internal priorities. I mean, even though it's within Google, but the inter- sort of internal other ask that's not core to the product, you know, there's a long line. And then you are in the agency side where... You wanna you wanna rub off on the Google Power to help your your brand, right? Whether it's yeah. a shoe brand, whether it's a car brand, and whatnot, it's just not their priority. So I think I think understanding this reality, understanding what's the ultimate sort of business reality, and why should they partner with you? Why should they you know shift their talent and resources to prioritize this? It's a huge um, logistics reality check and logistic. Thing, piece of information you need to know. Did so you know get anything done when you were there? Oh yeah, we did. We did because <laughs> yeah. we have. I mean, this is this is a thing with everything, every organization, right? We we need internal buy-in, and then we also need internal people who have a lot of connections, relationships, mm. open doors to sort of pitch why we should do X, Y, Z. So I think the benefit of being in is we know that intricacy. And then, so you, you know how to prioritize what takes precedence. Now, being in the agency world, that's include and other clients who want to collaborate. It's, uh, I think you need to really understand those, the two things. One is business objectives of all parties. And then second is literally, is it doable? Like mm. from a technical standpoint. Yeah. And I think the first piece 
is going to be hard for agencies and brands. The second piece, I definitely think that the agency creatives um, or teams need to be a lot more, just they need to get their hands dirty. They need to really know how platforms work. They really need to know how each of these products work. So I think this goes back to my, my start as, as a designer. I literally use Photoshop. I literally kern letter spacing and freehand back in the days. That's how I got started. So I kind of, you know, if I hear a feedback and say, this is not good enough, this looks off, I kind of know how to do mm-hmm. it. But I, I think that a lot of the creatives, unfortunately, who are, who started by, you know, in sort of creative schools that say, hey, you know, everything you do can save the world. So they make amazing case videos and promise yes. the world, but not know how is a, it's a, it's a big challenge. So mm. I'm pushing all my creatives to from top to bottom to say, you need to be able to have a vision and idea, but you also need to know how and can get your hands dirty. Can I ask you, um, Natalie, to wrap this up on the imposterous creatives and you, you mentioned the word a lot of creatives and you oversee 60 plus offices it says in your bio in APAC and that's a lot of people with a lot of <laughs> I, I guess different needs and and wants and that's a very uh, that's a sign of success for someone who wants to lead teams and, and see what different offices can do and you know at any one moment there's probably a, a good handful of ideas happening all around the place how do you feel about the notion of deserving it, um, deserving that position? Um, I'm not trying to be controversial, but I guess on the imposterous, if we talk about people who aren't really sure of, do I belong here? Do I deserve this success? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think there are the two words that that I never use. is <laughs> deserve and success. Because I never, I never set out, you know, to, I mean, to be honest, I have no expectations when I go into anything because I, um, I think I'm I'm lucky to be in this spot because I also I also um, you know behind getting this 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 job you know there's also many many jobs that I wanted that I never got right so I think people need to understand and always remind themselves that that's the reality so I think I'm lucky to be in this spot and then for me. Um, I never look at what success means, but I was, uh, but I know, I know if I were in, in a receiving end of some, from someone in this role, I know what I don't want to be, which is the old traditional hierarchical, you know, someone in a big title tells you what to do and this is the order and then no discussion ever. For me, I always like to work with someone who's more senior, by understanding why they do certain things and also, you know, benefits, whether it's harsh criticism or whether it's help pulling in different people to work on something because the, the core team, you know, may be lacking certain skill sets or a specialist. So I think for me, the, the important thing is, uh, yeah, I was overwhelmed. I didn't know how to even start. <laughs> but if I, after a while, if I look at, um, agencies, not as big agencies, but as teams, right? Every single team, you know, you can kind of figure out there's a basic structure, you know, there are leaders there who set the vision and then there are the teams who have different strains and then how to make it happen and then whether the dynamics is good or bad. Um, if I extract myself and keep a healthy distance, 
from everything, I think I can see sort of patterns in these different teams. So be able to sort of see the patterns and then figure out a scalable way to fill the gaps or to help push and whatnot. I think that's that's what sort of what I figure out, uh, scratch my head and then starting from <laughs> uh, starting from a blank slate. So really no one would, the great thing about this is it's such an entrepreneurial environment. And because right. it's so diverse, actually I also cover Middle East and Africa. So there's so many places that I've never been to. And I have such, you know, sort of limited perceptions of what and who they would be that I'm still learning. You know, one, on one hand, I'm still learning. And then on the other hand, I think a great creative setup or cultural environment or team or client relationship is pretty much the same all, you know, everywhere around. So if you can sort of distill into a few different types, I don't yeah. need to stereotype, that helps. So what what we've been doing is um, we've been helping to, to bring in specialists that some markets are missing. That can that's really the critical element to make the work better to some teams and then in some others when they are really, really strong, then how to shop and how to push even further. It's it's not the role that I'm I'm playing is to fill in the gaps rather than giving orders, which which is I think one thing that I definitely do not wish <laughs> someone yeah. to give me orders. Uh, that's a brilliant way to see it. New. Yeah. Right. A brilliant way to see it in, in the fact that, you know, you, you pointed out early on in that, that this idea of seeing them as teams and not offices. And a lot of those offices would see themselves as teams. So it's kind of like teams within that and, and taking a very human approach to it as people, as like a different way, rather than being standoffish, I guess, and thinking it's a system that needs to work. Yeah, because I think for that never worked well with me. The hierarchical, you know, yeah. kind of, <laughs> I came from that world. <laughs> yeah. So yes. that's the world that I sort of ran away from. So I, I don't want to bring back in now that I'm back to this world. And I think things are changing quite a lot. And people do appreciate if you show your vulnerable side. And then if I admit, hey, I'm really, really bad at doing this. But hey, let's so I'll look for someone mm. who's much better at doing this together. Because that will help us to make the work better. And the clients are happier and whatnot. Yeah. I think that's a great piece of advice to end on. Great. Very cool. Thanks very much for uh, for joining us on the Imposterous. That was well, excellent. Thanks Natalie. for having me. That was that was excellent, Natalie. Thank you so thanks, much, Natalie. Thanks for well, Thank you. Great to meet you. That was fun. Thanks. I'll I'll, uh, Take I'll talk to Jackie right away. Yeah, do say hello <laughs> for me. We'll do. Bye bye. You. See you. Bye. The Imposterous is produced by Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, the best music and sound house in Australia. If you would like to catch up on the other episodes in this series or previous, visit theimposterous.com. For all other updates or to make contact, follow us on Instagram at the underscore imposterous. सुनाओ हम्म सबके सामने कम टू द प्रिंसिपल देखिए मैडम स्कूल भर में पर्ची बांटती फिर रही है इसको बोलो पढ़ के सुनाए
periods. Periods दस से बारह साल की उम्र से शुरू हो जाते हैं ये हर महीने होते हैं जब यूट्रस अपनी लाइनिंग खून के रूप में योनी से बाहर निकालती है पीरियड्स हफ्ते भर तक चल सकते हैं पैड इस्तेमाल करने से हम सब कुछ कर सकते हैं पीरियड्स कोई बीमारी नहीं शर्मिंदा होने की चीज़ नहीं ये कोई श्राप नहीं और इसका मतलब ये नहीं कि आप मरने वाले हो पीरियड्स आपके स्ट्रॉन्ग हेल्थी वुमेन बनने की निशानी है आपको पता है आप इसके लिए सस्पेंड हो सकते हैं हम तो सिर्फ चार दिनों के लिए स्कूल मिस करेंगे लेकिन जो ये चैप्टर नहीं जानते उनका स्कूल तो हमेशा के लिए छूट जाएगा मैम सपोर्ट कर सकते हैं सो दैट टूगेदर वी कैन कीप गर्ल्स इन स्कूल